Well, good morning. My name's Pastor Alice, and uh, I've got some good news and some bad news for you. Which one do you want first? You want the, anyone for the good news first? Anyone for the bad news first? Yeah, most people. Well, that's the way we're going to do it, and that's the way Paul does it in the book of Romans. So I want you to have a copy of the Bible in front of you. So if you want to pull out your phones and Google Romans 1, or you want to grab one from the pews, because we're going to be referring to this text a whole number of times during this message. Paul, uh, we've seen in the last couple of weeks, he's, he's done this introduction to the letter to the Romans, and he's introduced the big idea of the book of Romans, and that is the gospel, the good news. And we're going to pick up in verse 18 this morning, and Paul is going to begin in verse 18 of chapter 1, what is a, an 11-chapter argument. It's a logical argument, step by step. It's the longest argument we see in any of his letters. And where Paul is going to begin in verse 18 is with the bad news. His argument is all about the good news, but he begins with the bad news. And so I've got to warn you this morning, if you've come here and and, and you're expecting to have a feel-good message, this isn't going to be it. So I won't be offended if you get up and leave now. But I'd love you to stay. Because I believe that when we realize how bad the bad news really is, we see the true goodness of the good news, the good news of the gospel. And so if you're visiting with us this morning, I'm really glad you joined us and we're on a journey and I want you to come back next week and the week after and come and hear just how good the good news is as we continue to journey through the book of Romans. So have that Bible in front of you. We're in Romans 1. I'm going to start reading in verse 18 and and this is where Paul begins his, his defense of why the good news is good news. So Paul, why is the good news Good news. Verse 18, Paul writes, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. This is the word of the Lord. Would you join me in prayer? God, I ask this morning that I would get out of the way and that the truth of what you have written to us in your word would penetrate our hearts. God, I pray that it would not be twisted, that it would be seen for what it is. Would your Holy Spirit be at work in our hearts, in our minds, giving us understanding And God, may we come today to understand how good the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, really is. We pray this in his name. Amen. So Paul starts this argument. Why is the good news, the good news, why is the gospel good news? By telling us that it's good news because the wrath of God is being revealed against all humanity. 
Now, the wrath of God is not something we like to think about very often. It's, it's possibly not even a characteristic some of us would like to associate with God. I think part of the reason for that is that we, we don't really understand what it means when we think of the wrath of God. We think of human wrath or human anger. We think of this self-centered, flying-off-the-handle, reactionary thing that, that all of us see from time to time in ourselves. But the reality is that the wrath of God is not like that. God's wrath is his sustained opposition to sin. In fact, one commentator I was reading this week described God's wrath as his loving response to human wickedness. Now you might say, how on earth can God's wrath be a loving response to human wickedness? And yet this morning, we have heard Sam talk to us about children, some as young as two months old in the Philippines, being abused in front of a webcam for the pleasure of a Western audience. I ask you, what is the loving response to such human wickedness? It is to oppose that sin. It is to seek to bring about justice in this world. That is what the wrath of God looks like. In many ways, international justice mission is a representation of God's wrath against human wickedness. A loving response to human wickedness in this world. And we are very thankful for the mission that they are called to and the way they're going about it. So God's wrath you know as well. One other thing we often think about is, is God's future wrath which we will learn about later in Romans. But right here, Paul is not talking about a future wrath of God poured out on the day of judgment. Have a look at verse 18. Paul says the wrath of God is revealed. We could translate that is being revealed. It is in the present tense. What that means is that the wrath of God that Paul is referring to in our passage is being revealed right now all around the world. And I would dare say it is being revealed in every single one of our lives. And so this morning, I want us to ask three questions about the wrath of God. Why is God's wrath being revealed? How is God's wrath being revealed? And in what is God's wrath being revealed? Let's start with why. Why is God's wrath being revealed? And simply put, God's wrath is being revealed because of our idolatry. Because God has revealed that he exists He is eternal, he is powerful, and we do not give him the honor and praise that he is due. And instead, we give that honor and praise to the things that he has created. That is idolatry, and that is the cause of God's wrath. Let me show you it from this passage. Verse 20, Paul writes, For God's invisible attributes, namely, he's going to describe what those invisible attributes are, namely, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Paul is saying that creation reveals to us that there is a God, that he has existed eternally, and that he is powerful. And we call this revelation of God general revelation as opposed to special revelation, which is the Bible. And God's general revelation is available to every single human being who has ever walked and lived and breathed on this planet. 
And that means that when we see the word they or them in this passage, it applies to every single human being. Those who've heard about Jesus, those who've never heard about Jesus, those who've chosen to follow Jesus, those who have not yet chosen to follow Jesus. This passage speaks to us because we have all had this revelation of God through creation. Last year, I got the chance to visit Yosemite National Park, and I remember driving in, and we drove straight to Glacier Point, and before we even got there, we pulled off at the side of the road, and I stepped out, and there was this view before me, which took my breath away. I could not believe it was real. And I said to myself, what sort of power is needed to produce something so heart-achingly awesome? This is God's revelation to us. This is a revelation of his power, of his existence, that he has existed eternally. And it has been revealed to every single one of us. And since it has been revealed to every single one of us, verse 20 says, we are all without an excuse for how we have responded to this revelation. You see, general revelation... It doesn't have the power to save us. It only has the power to do one thing. And that's the power to condemn us. To condemn us for our response to who God has revealed himself to be. And why is that true? Verse 21, take a look. For although they, and remember what I said about they, this is all of us included in that. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But... They became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Given this revelation of who God is, this eternally existent, powerful God, the correct response is to honor and give thanks to this God. And yet every single one of us has chosen not to. Instead, we have made a great exchange and we have exchanged The glory of God for images, images of mortal creatures. Keep reading verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And dropping down to 25, we see the same language of of an exchange again because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie And worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. We have all made this great exchange in response to what God has revealed about himself. We have exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal beings. We have exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And we have worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. And this is what the Bible calls idolatry. And this is the cause of God's wrath being revealed. And when we think about idolatry, it can be tempting just to think about these little metal statues that some people have that they make sacrifices to or they say prayers to. And although that is a form of idolatry, the truth is that in our Western world, that is not the predominant form of idolatry. In our Western society, idolatry is more mental than it is metal. Idolatry is when 
we believe that something in this world is going to fulfill us or complete us or, or give us what we need. That is what it looks like to worship. And we do this all the time. Every single one of us make this exchange. Commit idolatry. You know, I believe sometimes that, that my possessions are going to fulfill me. They're going to make me happy. And so I walk out of Target with a bunch of junk that I don't need, believing it's going to make me happy. I sometimes believe that my having money is going to fulfill me. It's going to give me what I need. And so I get frustrated with myself that I spent all my money on Target, on junk that I, didn't make me happy. I believe that my work is going to complete me or fulfill me. And so when I get stressed out, I start working harder and harder and harder. More hours into the night, up early in the morning. Possessions, money, work, comfort, relationships, sex, food. The list goes on and on and on. Any time we believe that something that has been created is going to fulfill us complete us. It's going to be the thing that we need. Anytime we do that, we commit idolatry. And idolatry is the cause of God's wrath being revealed. So that's the first question. Why is God's wrath being revealed? Because of our idolatry. And the second question I want to ask is how is God's wrath being revealed? And this may surprise some of you, But Paul says that God's wrath is being revealed by him giving up on us, by him him letting us have our way. Three times we see the same phrase in this passage, God gave them up. Verse 24, therefore God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity. Verse 26, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And verse 28, God gave them up to a debased mind. How is God's wrath being revealed? By him giving up on us. By him letting us have our way. By him saying, all right, if that's what you want, go ahead. Be my guest. See how you like it. My wife Rachel and I have been struggling as of late to get our kids to go to sleep at night. We have a a four-year-old girl, Evelyn, and a two-year-old boy, Ezra. They share a room and every night we end up going through this cycle. We put them to bed and we go downstairs and then we hear them get up and start playing around. And so we go back upstairs and we put them back down to bed. And we go back downstairs and then we hear them playing around again. So we go back upstairs and back down. And so the cycle continues. Some nights we just, we give up. We go, you know what? You make a mess, you can clean it up yourself in the morning. You make yourself tired, your preschool teacher can deal with it. (laughs) But the other night, they both came downstairs after making a big racket upstairs and Evelyn said to us, Mommy, Daddy, we have a big problem. Ezra has made a huge mess. So we went upstairs and this is what we found. Can you show me? Uh, in there. In there? <laughs> what happened? What did Ezra do? Ezra did a ton of messing up stuff. Messing up stuff. What and was? I got a ton of towel wows. You got a ton of towel wows? And what did you do with the towel wows? Uh, Come and show me. Uh, 
So the toothpaste was Ezra, is that right? What, you taking a video? Yeah, was the toothpaste Ezra? Yeah. And, the, and then you did all the towels. Ezra, what did you do? <laughs> what happened in here? Uh, look how messy it is. What did you do? Yeah, it's a little bit messy, isn't it, Ezra? <laughs> this is how God's wrath is being revealed. By him giving up on us. By him saying, you know what? Have your way. Make a mess. And then, you know what? Try to clean it up yourself. See how you get on with that. You know, I've experienced this personally. I remember as a teenager, I really, really wanted to be popular. I really wanted to be liked by the people around me. And if I'm honest, looking back, popularity became an idol for me. It became something I worshipped. And I found that the way to achieve it, the way to worship popularity was to be drunk and debauched. And so I did it. And God gave me up. He gave up on me. He said, if you want that, you have it your way. And I experienced the consequences of it. I experienced throwing up. I experienced hangovers. I experienced saying stupid things to my friends and, and breaking down relationships because of them. I experienced losing my cell phone because I was too drunk to notice I dropped it on the dance floor. God gave me up to my idolatry. He let me have my way. And let me tell you, it did not fulfill me. I became popular, but I was not fulfilled. I still had this place in my heart that, that I was aching for, to, to be filled, to, to be complete. And popularity did not satisfy. And that is the truth of whatever idol that we worship. It will not satisfy us. It will not fulfill us. It will not give us what we need. Only Jesus can do that. Why is God's wrath being revealed? Because of our idolatry. How is God's wrath being revealed? By him giving us up. And the third question, in what is God's wrath being revealed? God's wrath is not being revealed, according to Paul, in, in lightning coming down from heaven or the ground opening up and swallowing us up. No, Paul says that God's wrath is being revealed in our sin. Now Paul is going to go on to say that God's wrath is, is being revealed to us, that we see God's wrath present in this world through all sin, but he's going to draw out one type of sin in particular, and that is sexual sin. And I wonder whether Paul draws out sexual sin, because sex, I wonder when it's abused, whether it is the ultimate form of idolatry. And here's why I think that might be true. If idolatry is worshipping something that's created rather than the creator then the ultimate form of idolatry would be worshipping the ultimate piece of creation. And what is the ultimate piece of creation? A human being. And sex, when it is abused, is perhaps the ultimate way to worship another human being. To find our fulfillment, what we want, what we need in them. And so perhaps Paul draws out sex because it is the ultimate form of idolatry. Now, sex is a good thing. God created it. It's a gift to human beings. But as with all good things, as with all gifts, it can be abused if it is not used within the boundaries that God has designed for it to be used in. And God has told us what those boundaries are. In Genesis chapter 2, and, and Jesus reiterates this from his own lips, that God designed sex. God gave sex as a gift 
to be used in a marriage relationship between one man and one woman. And any use of sex outside of said marriage relationship between one man and one woman is an abuse of the gift that God has given to humanity. And there are many, many ways that we can abuse this gift. And Paul talks about them here. Take a look. Verse 24, he says, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. You know, many ways that we can abuse this gift of God. We heard about some of them earlier, but the list goes on. Rape, adultery, incest, pornography. Even Jesus says lust. But Paul highlights one in particular. He highlights sexual acts made between members of the same gender. Verse 26. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations. And by natural relations here, Paul means those relationships that God had intended, that God had designed them for. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women, And were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men. And receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. I have a friend named David Bennett. He's a friend from Oxford. He's actually an Australian man. And uh, he identifies as gay. And he was a part of a gay rights movement in Australia. Until one day he was in a gay bar in Sydney. And he met a young Christian woman who started to talk to him about Jesus. And he thought he'd heard it all before, but kind of politely listened. And at the end of the conversation, she said to him, could I pray for you? And he said, sure. So she put a hand on him and she began to pray for him. And in that moment, David had a radical personal encounter with God's Holy Spirit. He felt the love of God deep within him. And it was like nothing he had ever experienced in his life before. And from that point on, he decided to follow Jesus. But he didn't stop being attracted to men. And he went to the Bible and and he wrestled with what the Bible said. He he tried to see if there was some way that that he could still uh, fulfill those desires that he had for other men. But the more he read, the more he studied, the more he realized that actually God had designed sex as a gift to be used in a marriage relationship between one man and one woman. And David recognized that for him, he was therefore being called by God to live a celibate life. Now you might say, that's crazy radical, that's unbelievable. How can God call someone who has these desires within them to live a celibate life? That's that's unbelievable. But for David... He would say, not only is it what the Bible teaches, but he's found it's a better way to live. In doing this, he's discovered an intimacy in his relationship with Jesus that fulfills him, that gives him what he desires, far beyond anything that sex had ever given to him. And not only has he found this intimacy in a relationship with Jesus, but he has found intimate relationships with his Christian brothers and sisters that give him the sort of transparent, authentic, real relationships that so many of us are looking for in a marriage. And so for David, he can say, I don't need sex to be fulfilled and I don't need marriage to be fulfilled because I have found fulfillment in Jesus 
and in Jesus' body, the church. I wonder today how many of us could say the same thing. That we don't need sex to be fulfilled. That we don't need marriage to be fulfilled. I wonder how many of us are sitting here today and actually we've been worshipping the idol of sex. That we have been looking to sex to, to give us what we need. Rather than looking to Jesus. That we have been seeking intimacy in all the wrong places. Rather than seeking it in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I wonder how many of us are sitting here today and we have been worshipping marriage. We've been believing if only I was married. Or if only I was married to the right person. That I would be fulfilled. I would be complete. Rather than recognizing that we are fulfilled and complete in a relationship to Jesus. I wonder how many of us here today are worshipping our spouse. Are putting our spouse in a place where we're saying to them, I need you to fulfill me. I need you to give me what I need. I'm looking to you. And let me tell you, if you're in that place, that is a dangerous place for your marriage to be in. Because no human person can fulfill you, can give you what you need. At some point, that relationship is going to crumble. Because the truth is, as David has found out, only Jesus can fulfill him. Only Jesus can give him the intimacy that he longs for. And that actually within the church, we have the ability, and I would say the responsibility, to provide a place where people can have safe, transparent, real, authentic relationships with one another. The sort of relationships people are looking for in marriage. That's why we do life groups at Chapel Hill. So that you can experience those sorts of relationships with your Christian brothers and sisters. Are you in a life group? If you are in a life group, is that how you describe your life group? And is your life group a safe place where if someone was struggling with sexual sin, they could share it with the people in your group? And the group wouldn't judge or criticize or condemn them, but instead would point them to Jesus and towards an intimate relationship with him. Maybe those are some questions you can think about in your life group this week. Paul says that God's wrath is being revealed in sexual sin. But he goes on to say that God's wrath is being revealed in all sin. And so if you don't struggle with sexual sin, then I'm pretty sure that this next list of sins that Paul is going to give to us, that something in there is going to show you that God's wrath is being revealed in your life as well. Take a look at verse 29. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. The truth is, we are all deeply sinful. This was brought home to me in a really personal way last summer. Our pastoral team took a prayer retreat and we were led in it by our prayer team. And one of the exercises that we were given to do was to go away with a journal and a series of questions. And these questions were designed to prompt us to reflect upon areas of our life where we had been sinning. Things that we needed to repent of. And as I sat there with my journal and began to write, 
page after page after page after page of things that I needed to repent of. My neglect of prayer, my unbelief, my loss of love for my family, my pride, my love for the world. The list went on and on and on, pages after pages after pages. And I got to the point where I was totally overwhelmed at how deep my sin was. And it was in that place that I met the love of God in a very real way. Because I recognized that as deep as my sin was, God's love went even deeper. You know, I was like Evelyn, my daughter in that bathroom, using towel wells, trying to clean up the toothpaste. I was realizing that that was what I was trying to do. I was trying to work my own way out of it. And the reality was that I needed help. That I needed a savior. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still in the depths of our sin, God reached out to us and said, I want you. I love you. I've made a way for you. Now come to me, come and know my love. When we realize the depth of our own sin, it is at that point that we realize how great and how deep and how wide God's love is for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This morning I want us to finish by doing a similar exercise to the one that I did that day on that prayer retreat. I want us to put those last few verses back up on the screens. And we're going to take a moment of quiet reflection. And I want you to read that list, one word, one phrase at a time. And I want you to ask yourself, where, where is this true of me? Because I believe that when we realize how bad the bad news is, we're going to know how good the good news is. And this is the good news of the gospel. That we are more sinful than we ever imagined. But we are more loved than we ever dared dream. Would you take a moment to reflect with me? Thank you.
Father, we come to you this morning and we confess that our sin is deep. That it is deeper than we have ever imagined. That we have worshipped the things of this world. That we have looked to the things of this world to fulfill us, to complete us. When only you can fulfill us and complete us. And we come to you today and we thank you for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That he took our place, that he took the cost of our sin upon himself, and that through his death we have forgiveness, and that we have been reconciled to you, and that we can now be face to face with you. That when you look at us, you see us as your sons and your daughters, beloved children of the Most High God. God, we stand in that this morning. And God, out of a recognition of what you have done for us, we give ourselves to you. We throw ourselves upon you. We say we're yours. We're yours, God. We may not have much to offer, but God, we give everything we have. We offer our lives. We offer our relationships. We offer our possessions. We offer our money. We offer our work. We offer our family. We offer our friends. Everything, God, is yours. It's all yours. We give it to you. Because we know that you can fulfill us and we don't need this stuff. We don't need those people. We don't need those relationships. And that you and you alone are the one that we need. And maybe you're here this morning and and you've never said yes to Jesus. And this morning I want to give you the opportunity to do that. In your heart, just cry out to him and say, yes, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Thank you. I need you. I want you. If that's you, just pray that prayer to God right now. And we're going to offer ourselves to God. We're going to take an offering at this time. And and these gifts that we're going to give, they're just a representation of our offered lives. You know, we we deserve to give Him everything. And what do these things matter anyway? They're, They're just money, just possessions. They don't fulfill us. He's the one who fulfills us. He's the one who loves us. And as we do so, maybe there are other things you want to offer to God on your connection cards. If you, if you said, yeah, I want to follow Jesus today for the first time, and we'd love you to let us know on that so that we can celebrate with you, so that we can help you. If you want to be a part of a life group, you don't have those relationships, let us know. Offer that up to God this morning. Whatever it is at this time, offer it to God. And so our ushers are going to come forward. We're going to sing as, as the plates are passed. I want to invite you to stand and make this declaration of our faith the good news about Jesus. So God, would you take these gifts, take the givers, and would you take them and use them for your purposes, for your glory, that many may come to know the good news about Jesus Christ, who has made a way for us to be reconciled to the Father. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.